0: Welcome to Fundamentals of Canadian Law. I'm Matt Shepard, and I have, once or twice, texted while driving. I was just reading texts, not writing them, but it was distracted driving, and I feel bad. Talking to the Instructor of Law 201701, Hugo Chaquette, I, I feel a little less bad. Not that I should look at my phone while driving, but we're talking about a case that blows that out of the water when it comes to distracted driving. And then Hugo takes that case and really uses it to unpack how judicial decisions evolve over time and the effect of precedent on our legal system. It's an interesting conversation that really clarifies how judges think and how our judicial system works to shape law over time. This podcast is not legal advice and is being presented for informational purposes only. Fundamentals of Canadian Law is brought to you by the Queen's Certificate in Law, the only online certificate in law offered by a law faculty in Canada. You can find out more at takelaw.ca. I am, I think, I think I'm think i a strictly median driver, right? I'm not a great driver. I'm not, right. I'm not a poor driver, but I'd be the first to confess that I am not, my hands are not always at the 10 and 2 <laughs> position or the 9 and 3 or whatever it's supposed to be these days. Uh, I have been known to glance at other things while driving. I adjust the radio while driving, uh, but but we're going to talk today about something that kind of takes this to uh, another level. Yeah, in terms of driving while doing other stuff. Absolutely, and and I have to say
1: one of the reasons that the story caught my eye was because I'm I've been known to have a coffee in one hand and my other hand on the wheel, pulling onto the 401. And my wife, always who's a nervous driver, always sort of tells me I shouldn't be doing that. So I, I was sort of caught. You know, by the story and, and what it implied. But you're right, it does take it to the next level. So this woman in uh, British Columbia, um, Corinne Jackson is her name, she um, was caught um, eating with chopsticks in her right hand and a bowl of some sort in her left hand uh, and shoveling the food in her mouth while she was driving uh, on the highway. Uh, so probably not something that would be highly recommended. Um, <clears throat>
0: wait, wait, wait. So, So bowl in the left hand, chopsticks in the right hand, um, uh, arguably at this point you could say she's not driving that's um, right but there was this was a no hands on the wheel scenario
1: well so her evidence was that she had three fingers on the wheel uh so but that evidence was rejected by the judge the judge actually believed the the uh, police officer who stated that when he saw her she had no hands on the wheel she was essentially had both hands occupied with other objects um and so that, that was the evidence that the judge actually accepted okay, so she's um,
0: driving, she's bowling chopsticks, and what happens is a, a police officer basically pulls up beside her,
1: yeah, so basically the officer reports her to the the patrol car and they stop her, um, and she gets a ticket uh, for speed she was speeding as well, but uh, her speed was not. Uh, huge. I mean, I think she was 10 kilometers over the limit. Um, but the issue is, you know, she was driving without due care and attention. So that's that's the the, the charge. Um, so then, of course, she contests this uh, and it goes to court. So what I find interesting about the case is what happens next in terms of how the judge determines this. Right. Um, so the first thing the judge will do, of course, is look to the, the law that applies. And in this case, we have the BC Motor Vehicle Act, um, and the section basically says, "Well, you no one will drive without due care and attention." So we, there's our rule, there's our legal rule that we have to apply. But of course, you can see the problem with this. What does that mean? It, it's right. a very vague. Um, one person's due care and attention might be another's, uh, you know, distraction. So right. it, the judge really has to 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 sort of parse that out and, and explain what it is.
0: I mean, great. There's there's clear. There's sort of some. Notionally clear parameters there. I can't be asleep, right? I've, of course, I've got to yeah. have my face more or less forward. But yeah, what is due care and attention? That's right.
1: And th- so there's a few things that we know already. So we know that it's an objective standard. So that means it's not about whether the person thought they were had sufficient care and attention. It's whether objectively the reasonable person would 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 think that they had were driving with due care and attention. So we know that, and we know that it um you know again that there are those basic parameters as you were saying that if you can't be drunk or you can't you know there's those things um but beyond that we sort of need to to look at what else might this imply and the normal process, of course, would be to look at, at other cases. So, you know, under normal circumstances, you would say, well, what, what have cases that have come before said about this issue? And But the particular problem in this case is that while there have been many cases of cell phone use, for example, and other things, um, at least as far as British Columbia was concerned, and, and that's what the judge mentioned in the case, there hadn't been a case of eating food while driving. That just wasn't right. uh, a scenario that had come up before. Um, the closest equivalent was a situation where uh, a man was driving with his dog in the car and the dog actually went on their lap and, and caused them to be distracted and caused an accident. So that was sort of the closest equivalent they could find to, to this sort of scenario.
0: And the equivalents are important because this is, we are in a precedent-based system. That's right. Yeah. So the common law
1: system, which is what we have in, in the common law provinces in Canada, basically you know means that decisions get made on the basis of precedent, the basis of decisions that have come before. Uh, that judges are either, in some cases, bound by if they come from a higher court, uh, or at least have to follow in some way. And so the usual process would be you would look at similar cases and say, well, where does this fall uh, on the you know on the spectrum of those cases? Um, but so the challenge here being there are no cases that really have this, you know, are directly related to the situation. So it's a bit of a novel situation. Right. So what does a judge do in those situations? And I think what the judge did actually really exemplifies how the common law evolves, uh, how our, our law evolves in, in, in the day-to-day application. So what the judge did really was two things that I think are significant. He sort of extended the law logically, but incrementally as well. So he created a logical extension to what we already knew from the case law, but he, he was sure to limit it so that it wasn't an, a, a huge change in the rule. It's it's a slight change that sort of modifies what we know already. Um, so the judge decided that the rule would be that you have to have one hand on the wheel at all times, uh, and, and that if you don't, then that will constitute driving without due care and attention. And, but what's interesting about it is if, if you sort of unpack and the judge doesn't really go through this whole reasoning process, but if you kind of unpack where that might come from, um, you can kind of see how it's an incremental extension of the law because we know, for example, that cell phones, uh, particularly handheld devices, are not are, are considered to be um, enough of a distraction to, to meet that standard. So if you're if you're using a cell phone that's not a hands-free device, you're, you're normally found to have um, been, driven, been driving without due care and attention. And if you think about that, part of the reason for that is because, of course, the cell phone is a distraction, so it's it's a mental distraction, but it's also because it's it's a manual distraction, right? So your hand has to be on the device or handling the device, and so it's unavailable to sort of help steer the, the, um, the, the steering wheel, so to help guide the car. <clears throat> now, I think most people would agree, and again, this is where it's sort of the logical extension part comes in. I think most people would agree to be a bit extreme to require people to have both hands on the wheel at all times right uh and so the, you know the again i'm not inside the judge's head but you might think that the judge would think well it, that can't be the rule because that would seem a little too extreme
0: so i mean is there kind of and like you said we we're not in the judge's head but is there sort of a historical component to that like you know people have been changing the changing that they've been retuning their radio for for decades so i mean there's a, a, a very long history of people driving with one hand on the wheel like it's Watch movies and TV. People kind of famously drive with... It's cool to drive with absolutely. one hand on the wheel. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that plays into it as well. So societal norms and expectations also come into play here. Uh, and while we have changed our views around such things as drinking and driving, for example, and, and also, you know, to a large extent... I think we're more conscious of the idea of inattention behind the wheel and what that can cause Um, also because there's more traffic. Um, At the same time, you're absolutely right that I think part of this is, you know, you can't have a rule that is so completely out of sync with, Societal norms, right. uh, and and here you you know if you were to say well a driver has to have their hands both hands on the wheels at all times, uh, in order to be driving with due care and attention I think that would be too extreme and it would be out of sync with precisely what you were saying that that social norm that you know this is in some cases is not an issue, um,
0: and it would become. Practically speaking, unenforceable. Well, absolutely, and and or you know armies of police. Exactly right. So so that's
1: another concern, of course. And you're absolutely right. The enforcement of the rule has to be uh, something that is possible. Um, otherwise, the rule isn't really serving a useful purpose.
0: Hey, it's Matt. A quick note that this is airing in late September 2019, so you have about uh, five weeks to enroll in our certificate in law program for a January 2020 start. We're offering Introduction to Canadian Law, Workplace Law, Public and Constitutional Law, and Intellectual Property that semester. If you're interested in this interview so far, Introduction to Canadian Law provides an overview, and Public and Constitutional Law is the real deep dive on these subjects. If you start in January and take just one online course a semester, you could earn your Certificate in Law from Queen's Law, one of the best recognized law schools in Canada, by the summer of 2021. It's not too shabby. You can find out more about the program at takelaw.ca or drop us a line at lawcertificate at queensu.ca. Back to Hugo. So, So
1: based on that, then the judge decided that the rule should be that you have to have one hand on the wheel at all times, and the you know that hand cannot also be holding another object. Okay. So he also dealt with the issue that you know um, Ms. Jackson was saying. Well, basically, I had I had three fingers on the wheel, but I was even though I was still holding the bowl, um, that wouldn't qualify either because th- that hand that is on the wheel has to not be also preoccupied with another object. Um. So, but but what's interesting about it, he the judge was also very clear to limit the the impact of this to saying it. it you know that he was not saying that anyone who drives while eating will be found to have been driving without due care and attention.
0: Right. I got a granola bar. I can still manage myself right. accordingly. Exactly.
1: So, you know, again, the 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 test still remains, you know, in all the circumstances did you drive with due care and attention. But now we have a case that actually establishes some sort of standard for that in the case of eating at behind the wheel. Right. So, you know, it, it actually allows you to guide your behavior, right? If you know that if you're if you are holding an object with your one hand that's on the wheel and, and how, have an object in your other hand and you only have like a finger on the wheel that is going to probably cross the line into you know driving without due care and attention now nothing's ever 100% certain in in law you know because it always depends on the circumstances but what's interesting about that is that we now have a rule that has become the new precedent right uh, and so you know if this issue comes up to courts again They will look to that case to say, well, this is what the judge decided in in British Columbia, you know, and and this makes, you know, they will either decide to adopt that as the rule that this makes sense, or uh, the lawyers in the case will have to find some way of distinguishing it um, from the new situation. Um, But it's it's a real it's a really interesting way of showing how those rules get you know evolve in the case law, um, even in situations where you don't have relevant precedent. And again, I think what's important to stress is that it has to be a logical extension. So it's not something that is completely um different from what came before in terms of, you know, the the, the, the um the, the the logical connection to the, the actual uh rule that is driving with due care and attention, but it's also incremental in that it it it's it's limited and it, it's deliberately limited by the judge to, you know, uh, a small subset of new situations, not, you know, suggesting that all eating behind the wheel, for example, will be caught by this rule. Right. Um,
0: and you mentioned something just about a minute ago that I think is important, as you sort of mentioned that this is a case that may set a precedent outside of BC. This is not like locked inside British Columbia's borders. This is a precedent that can serve in common law jurisdictions, period. Absolutely.
1: And, and you know, so because, because of the fact that this issue is unlikely to have been brought up. Many times before, it's it's sort of not uh, something that you see very often brought to court. Um, it it absolutely certainly in Canada, a decision from another province will be very persuasive, uh, but also in other jurisdictions like the United States, this may be looked at, uh, you know, as a as a precedent for decisions uh because largely because you know the the common law system is is largely the same in those jurisdictions but also you know in this particular situation motor vehicle um statutes are also likely to be very similar right um and so you know the ontario highway traffic act for example would have a similar provision and so you know the 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 interpretation of that provision would would follow along the same lines um and so yeah it, it really is you know uh, it's it's a case that could start a whole other line of, of precedence um, and, and you know provide guidance for other courts, but also for how people in their day-to-day lives actually make decisions. Um,
0: so I, I want to go off on a bit of a tangent and then back to the one hand on the wheel thing, but on, on a bit of a tangent, uh, is what makes this unusual what the person behind the wheel was doing or was what makes this unusual the fact that she actually contested it? Because I feel like, as someone who spent a fair bit of time on the highway, people doing goofy stuff in cars is not it's it's rare enough that we're not all dead but it's not that rare no i
1: and i you know i i have to say i've seen my share of things you know people putting their makeup on and other kinds of things like that so you know you would think that this kind of thing uh would not necessarily raise uh the, the, too much uh, scrutiny but i think what's happened is and it, it what's interesting about the case too is that it, only a few i think it was a few weeks or months before the RCMP had actually tweeted out A picture of someone driving uh, with no hands on the wheel and suggested that that might result in a ticket. So they had sort of anticipated this sort of thing. But I think it's probably due to the higher scrutiny being paid to other forms of distraction, like electronic devices, that we're all of a sudden discovering, well, you know, there are other things going on behind the wheel that might be causing the same level of risk. Um, So I think it's unusual, or at least it's novel in that sense, that it was brought up I also think you're absolutely right though that um and you know one of the last comments from the judge in the case was that he wasn't prepared to reduce the fine here because of the egregious circumstances this seems to be um you know I think to most people who drive this 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 seems to be an extreme example um particularly on a highway uh of of taking this a little too far and right. and, and so I'm surprised in a way that this was contested and 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 that's important to understand as well for the legal process because the only time a decision really gets made on a case, for example, or in a situation like this is when it's contested. Um, you know, the, the the police might have issued a number of tickets for that reason before, but if the person who received the ticket simply paid it uh, and didn't contest it, then there would be no cases to decide what the rule actually is. We only have, you know, what the police decide is their policy. Um, so in a way, it's, it's, it's a sort of interesting that this was actually contested and, and that now we have, like, uh, you know, a legal rule based on case law uh, in this situation.
0: So, does this the sort of thing that might even radiate to police in the performance of their duties, that they might be on the road and, like, oh... Not one hand on the wheel i've got to do something because now they know that there is sort of a, a standard that's been set at the judicial level
1: absolutely at least it so it seems to have been the unofficial policy anyway because what of the so what of the officers in the case actually admitted in cross examination that if she had had one hand on the wheel, he would have let her go. Uh, in, in other words he wouldn't have signaled her to the the patrol and, and had her pulled over right um so that seems to have been their unofficial policy but now it's reinforced by the fact that they know this is a legally enforceable rule uh, so of course it's going to give them more confidence in terms of being able to pull people over um and say you, you know yes you we can give you a ticket for this because it's it's recognized that that this is a you know this is against the law now
0: right so we we start with a statute that's pretty vague like you have to drive with due care and attention and that's a lot of space to play in there. And this case comes up and the judge is like, okay, what defines this as not due care and attention? Well, it can't be eating because I'm not... Anyone who has a cup of coffee in the car can't suddenly be driving dangerously. Right. That's not societally acceptable. So let's, let's, let's make a rule. Let's say it's one hand on the wheel. That seems like a pretty solid base to stand on. But can this have unintended consequences? Like, can someone... I, I play board games there's a type of person that plays board games we call the rules lawyer right which doesn't necessarily reflect well in lawyers uh, <laughs> but will there be rule lawyers out there that now say oh if I have one hand on the wheel anything goes it, it's a
1: it's certainly a risk I think the important thing to remember is that the the rule uh, sort of defines what you know, defines one type of behavior that might be caught, but it doesn't assume that anything else won't be. So because we still have that standard of, you know, ultimately the ultimate standard is, you know, would a reasonable person view this as driving with reasonable or with due care and attention? And so that's always going to be there in the background. Um, So what's, clear is that if you don't have at least one hand on the wheel you're you're likely it's going to be a a tough argument to make that you were driving with due care and attention. Right. But what's less clear is that even if you have a hand on the wheel that you couldn't still for other reasons uh, not be driving with due care and attention. I mean to give the most obvious example if you have your cell phone in your other hand um, we know that it, you know if you're texting with your one hand while you still have one hand on the wheel um, that's not going to make it okay right uh, just because you have one hand on the wheel right so it, 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 there's still that that room for other kinds of behavior and activities to be caught but at least we have some sort of standard that, we know you can't fall behind or below. Um, you know you have to have one hand on the wheel at all times.
0: Right. On sort of a side note, reading about the case, one of the things I thought was kind of fun was uh, at one point the the defendant said that uh, she wasn't really speeding because she was only going about ten kilometers an hour over the speed limit, and the judge was like, "No, that that's speeding. <laughs> like yeah. that, that you you were literally speeding. Uh, that's and so." There's there's no. There's no fuzzy gray and again, this is something as someone who drives, you're kind of like, yeah, there's a gray zone, but I think people over time may lose the ability to distinguish what offenses um, a police officer may deem it worth their time to pull you over for yeah. and what's actually against the law
1: that's the thing and it, and, it, and it, it's an it's actually an interesting reflection on what we consider to be the rule of law because you know those those unofficial sort of policies of when things get enforced actually can crystallize and almost become the law because in effect, you know, we all know that if you drive 110 kilometers on on, on the 401, your chance of being pulled over are minimal because other people are going much faster and and it's sort of an accepted thing that the 10 kilometer above rule applies Um, but again it's important to note to to remember that technically one kilometer over the speed limit is is breaking the law right Right. the law says the limit is 100 kilometers an hour and what's what's interesting about that is that this plays in a lot to uh, people's perceptions of raising speed limits because you always have the two sort of competing arguments you know with one side saying well if we raise the speed limit people are going to drive even faster, uh, where other people will say, "Well, no. If you raise the speed limits, we're just going to get actually cover the the actual speeds that people drive." Right. Uh, and so you you always have those two competing viewpoints, and and it's based on this idea that you know w- what is the threshold at which we actually feel there that the real limit is. Um, but it but you're absolutely right that that's an enforcement issue and not a, a, a question of what the law says. Um, and and it's important because it it sort of reminds us of. How important those those kinds of policies and rules about when you enforce a law actually matter in the application of a law. So you, you can have a law that says something, but if it's being only enforced in certain circumstances, um, then that becomes the, the norm, essentially, that the law carries.
0: I guess what's really resonating for me through this conversation is the interconnectedness of that that law is a societal phenomenon, right? That this judge is making decisions based on kind of what society does and what society will bear. And society's kind of making decisions about what's kind of acceptable, even though it's technically outside the law.
1: Yeah, and, 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 you know, there might well be... um you know legislation being passed on the, on this kind of topic and and I think again you know what what distinguishes judicial reasoning from other other ways of um of, of dealing with this issue is that it's never you know starting from from nothing in a way um the judge you know judges in the in, in how they make law they make law incrementally uh, only in in small steps extensions of what's there already whereas a legislature could decide to you know rewrite completely all the rules on driving, um, make up completely different rules. Uh, and that, that's the prerogative of, of the elected legislature, right? So, but you're absolutely right that, you know, the judge isn't divorced from societal ideas of what's acceptable and what's not. Right. Um, and, and that's also, you know, where the law has to track those, you know, fairly closely in order to be, um, to, to be of value, really.
0: And, and now we get to watch. Right, we get to yeah. watch and see. Do people start citing this case? Does exactly. It, does yeah. it reverberate? Does it reverberate outside BC? Does it reverberate even outside Canada?
1: Yeah, it's it's gonna it's an interesting process, you know, because it is the start of a new legal rule that's now been put out there. Um, that may get extended. It may get cut back. It may be changed. It may be rejected completely by higher courts or other courts. Um, you know, it, 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 there's really no. Say, saying where it's going to go, but it, it's it's interesting in that it's it's it really is the common law in action, right? We're seeing it happen sort of before our eyes with this case, um, how it evolves and and how it changes over time.
0: Right. Well, thank you very much, Hugo. Oh, thank you, Matt. Drive safe. <laughs> you too. Thanks to Hugo Chacat. If you're curious about judicial power and the evolution of the law, Hugo delivers the basics as part of Law 201701 Introduction to Canadian Law. You can also take the deep dive with Law 205705 Public and Constitutional Law, which gives you a full course on division of powers, citizens' rights, and how our judiciary functions taught by Jonathan Shanks. You can learn more about these courses at TakeLaw.ca. Fundamentals of Canadian Laws, recorded at Queen's University, situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Our theme music is by Megan Hamilton, who is also a staff member here at Queen's Law. You can find out more about her music at meganhamiltonmusic.wordpress.com. Original illustrations for this podcast are by Valerie DeRochet. You can find her work at vdarochet.com. Thanks for listening.